The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell and welcome to 1874, the Athletics podcast all about Aston Villa Football Club. Another win, Steven Gerrard, three from four, excellent start to his career at Villa Park and I'm joined by Greg Evans and Holly Percival to look back at the Leicester game, look forward to Liverpool and Norwich and just have a positive chat in general. We'll also be joined by the Athletics Liverpool correspondent Simon Hughes to tell us a little bit more about how Liverpool are doing and of course to speak about Steven Gerrard's return to Anfield. Holly, I'm going to come to you first because Greg annoyed me as soon as I came on. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Dan. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Holly. Greg, you okay? I'm fine. <laughs> good. Oh, I'm not sure I want to be here. I'm enjoying your posts of food on Twitter. Food connoisseur, mate. Honestly, that's probably the first time I've cooked in about at least 10 years. And it was 10 out of 10 as well. So yeah, I'm glad you're enjoying all the social media posts. Did you enjoy Villa's win? On Sunday, Greg? I did, yeah. I thought it was a very, very positive display. Uh, another excellent result. And Stephen Gerrard's getting everything right as a Villa manager at the moment, isn't he? So, very good times. Yeah, we'll come on to the Leicester game very, very shortly. But first, Greg, can you just talk to us a little bit about your interview with David Williams and Nat Hay as part of the Athletics coverage of the Rainbow Lace this weekend? Oh, yeah. Um, a, a very... Um, important topic I felt that we, that we needed to cover um, last week, Rainbow Laces. Uh, thank you ever so much, for, for, first of all, for, for, to David. Um, for those of you who didn't read the story, David is a 61-year-old Aston Villa fan, uh, openly gay man, was married and, and has had a couple of children, but, you know, realised that, you know, he, he was a gay man and, and wanted to be a proud gay man. And, and he, he talked through his story with me and his experiences as a football fan. And Natalie from, from Aston Villa's uh, women's team joined us and, and, and listened to the conversation and gave some of her opinions and some of her thoughts and some of her experiences as a gay woman as well. And it was a really enjoyable conversation and, and something I learned a lot from. And I hope the readers that Reddit did too. Yeah, it's important to talk about these things, isn't it, Holly? And it, even though we have the awareness around the rainbow laces, it's important that we have these conversations all year round. Yeah, I think the rainbow laces in themselves is a really positive sign, but you have to have those conversations. And I, I think the piece that Greg did and the other pieces we had go out last week kind of really highlighted the importance about talking about those topics. And, and that's not just, you know, rainbow laces and LGBT plus communities, but also, you know, discussions around mental health and, and the kind of topics that people don't necessarily know how to talk about so I think it's great that The Athletic brings those topics forward and talks about them so openly and, and without any judgment so I, it was one of my favourite pieces that I read last week. Yeah I've got to say The Athletic is really really good at stuff like this. I did a podcast yesterday with Flo on, on women's football and relationships within women, women's football. It opened my eyes to be honest I, I didn't really know about all that so every, every day is a learning day working for The Athletic and every day seems to be a good day at the moment for Villa Hollow. Another win for Steven Gerrard. Probably my favourite performance of the four, especially in that second half. But I always think Leicester are a side that have been ahead of Villa the last two years, you know, comfortably ahead of us in the league table. It's a good marker to go and, and, and beat them and play so well. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I hope that another win means that I'm no longer seen as a bad juju for Aston Villa anymore. So it was nice to <laughs> I do need a new name. Um, but I agree with you. I think it was definitely the best performance for Villa under Steven Gerrard. Leicester, I genuinely wasn't sure which way the, the game would go. A friend and I were chatting about it and I was really worried about Jamie Vardy and, and 
Madison kind of dominating midfield and, and their attacking presence. But luckily, kind of Villa controlled that area and, and worked well. And it was a slow burner, but it paid off in the end under, you know, a successful win. Yeah, I think Vardy only touched the ball once, actually, when he came on. And Greg Lester started like a house on fire. They, they, they did get off to a good start. Harvey Barnes caused Matty Cash a lot of problems. But actually coming coming from behind, that's a, that's a good sign because I don't think they've done that yet under Steven Gerrard. So to win the game from behind, that's a real positive step as well. And there seems to be different kinds of positives after every game. Yeah, there does. And I think even with the Man City game, you know, Villa fell two goals behind, but then scored again, um, you know, to get back into the game. Okay, they didn't end up taking anything from that, but the performance was was so spirited. Um and, and and it was another sign of just how um, together this team are and how they you know, how, how Steven Gerrard's got them drilled. Um, it, a sign, a clear sign of their character as well. Because if you go a goal behind, especially to Leicester, who are a very good team, um, and then can hit you on the counter attack and cause so many problems, it's actually very difficult to go and play then and and be confident and express yourselves and, and be brave and go and take the game to Leicester because of what you know they can do. Um, when you lose possession. So, yeah, I thought it was a really, really good performance. Um, and it, it, look, it should have been more, shouldn't it? Villa had many other chances. Um, the, the, the Ramsey goal, which, which you know, confused everybody, I think, except for Kasper Schmeichel, who clearly was putting on a front after the game. Um, I don't think he was as confident um, when he was down on the floor holding his little thumb. Uh, saying that uh, that you know that, that that goal was going to be ruled out, so yeah, there were plenty of the other opportunities for Villa, and it was very promising for them. It's one of them things with Casper Schmeichel where the lie went too far. Yeah, that's what I thought. Just, it is in his post-match interview. Yeah, I mean, look, he's a he's a very confident boy. Um, you know, an excellent goalkeeper. I thought on the on the day he was poor. I think Leicester have got real big problems at, at set pieces. Um, they're just, they just they, they can't seem to handle deliveries into the box. Kasper Schmeichel wasn't himself, or certainly wasn't the goalkeeper that you know I've seen for for many many years. Um, and yeah, I think you're right. It just went on and on, almost as if to say that that goal shouldn't have stood, and 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 it didn't. There's no question about it, but there clearly was a question about it because everybody in the ground was asking it. And everybody who was watching on was asking it. And everybody who talked about the game after was saying, what a ridiculous role this is. Yeah, funny how he's not it's not come out since that he's got an injury or anything, or at least I haven't seen that he has. And I doubt that story will be making it into the air any time soon. It reminds me of when I was a kid and I said I had stomachache at school and I let it get I let it get too far so that I was in hospital about to have my appendix out. <laughs> yeah. And then I finally, <laughs> and I finally admitted there was no, there was nothing wrong with me just as they said that I knew, that I was going to have to have have my appendix out so yeah Casper don't lie yeah. it's not good for you. <laughs> it's exactly what I did and I nearly ended up having my appendix out at about 10 11 years old yeah. Bad day that was. Set pieces again Hollow. Austin McPhee got off to a good start. Then had a bit of an iffy time where Greg was getting on his back. Now we're back into team Austin now, aren't we? Two, I guess, two goals from set pieces. I'd class that first one as a goal from a set piece as well because it was it was after it broke down. So that counts for me. But scored a set piece as well against Manchester City. We're, we're back in the set piece groove. Yeah, and it's definitely a positive because I feel like in the last few games for Dean Smith, any kind of set piece filler had, I was never excited about the free kick or the corner because I just didn't feel confident that we would capitalize on that so to have those kind of chances and be fine with it with going to a set piece means a whole world to Villa in terms of success and getting goals and kind of staying hopefully towards the top half of the table and and pushing on so um 
you know, for me, I was just happy that it was Konza scoring both goals because he's definitely one of my favourite players and he thoroughly deserves it because, in my opinion, he is one of the most underrated centre-backs in the Premier League. In the office, we actually did a kind of like top 10 players in the Premier League right now. And as a Villa fan and to just stir the pot, I put Konza at number 10. Um, so his brace kind of proved that theory, I think, a little bit on the weekend as well, which was very nice. So I was happy for him and, and really happy that Villa are kind of back to winning ways in terms of using set pieces in, in the most positive way possible. I thought you were going to say I was in your fantasy team when you, when you said you were players. That's usually what happens after that sentence starts from one of us. He's in our, in our fantasy team. He's not in mine. You'll be surprised to learn. Let's hear from Stephen Gerrard quickly as he was pleased with the performance overall. Really pleased. Um, obviously a game of two halves, a bit similar to midweek. Um, so we had to get into the players a little bit at half-time. We had to demand a bit more. I thought we were a little bit passive in the first half. We weren't picking up enough second, second balls. We kept turning the ball over. And on transition, we had a few issues. So we had to address a few um, situations in terms of how we wanted it to look in the second half. We had to demand a bit more. And the players came out in the second half and were absolutely outstanding. And uh, I think in the end, we, we, we deserve our victory. We didn't want Leicester to grow in confidence and belief. They were already in a good place when they scored. Disappointing goal from our point of view. But I weren't happy with a lot of things in, in, in the first half. And now it's time to review the four games and really iron out a few issues and a few teething problems that we've got. But at the same time, I'm very pleased and proud of the players in terms of the points return, their application and what they've gave me in the first four games. Look, we, we want to be a threat at set plays. Austin does some fantastic work and we've got the personnel to go and be aggressive on them. At the same time, I thought we defended our box really well from set plays, especially at the end. Um, you know, In the second half, we've limited Leicester to just one chance and the keeper's pulled a fine save off for us. So listen, um, second half performance is really close to, to, to being perfect for us and we certainly deserved our win in the end. We could have run away with it. Uh, at 2-1, we've had three or four really good chances to score more, so a lot of positives as well. I was going to ask you, Greg, what changed in the second half, but actually Stephen Gerrard probably summed it up better than you would be able to. But there was there was a big change, wasn't there? The intensity Villa played at in that second half. And I've got to say, I thought it was John McGinn's best ever game in a Villa shirt in that, in that second In fact, the whole game, he was because he was still good in the first half, but he did absolutely everything that you'd want a central midfielder to do. He was spraying the ball around, his tackling was good, he played progressive passes, he played key passes. He, he just looked really, really good. And hold McGinn to a really high standard, so I don't praise him that often because I always think he can do a little bit better because I think he's that good. But on Sunday, I thought he was exceptional. I think we were spoiled a little bit because we were used to McGinn in the Championship and, and, and he played his first couple of seasons in the Championship. So we were always seeing exceptional performances from him because he was so much better at that level. You know, he wasn't a Championship player. He was a Premier League player playing in the Championship. So I think when he moved up that level, we kind of thought, well, he should be playing that that way every week. Um, but no, you were right. He was fantastic in that second half. Um, and as Gerard just mentioned there, I think there were some things that he, he wasn't too happy with in the first half. But tactically, I don't think too much changed, to be honest. I just think Villa wanted it a bit more in the second half. You could, you could see that Villa were flying into tackles a bit more. They were breaking through the lines quicker. Um, and the only, I suppose the only real criticism was that they didn't put Leicester, uh, they didn't finish Leicester off and, and, and kill them off really because the winning margin should have been much greater than it was in the end. Do you think the injustice at half-time with the Casper Schmeichel stuff, do you think that played a part in the second half? Do you think Villa rallied because of that? Well, well it, sometimes that can go against you, can't it? Because players can get so worked up and think, we've, we've been done over there. But then clearly Villa have shown their character and, 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 and they've actually used it to their advantage and they've used that frustration um, 
you know, to a positive and, and, and gone and actually put in a really good performance in the second half. So, yeah, I think someone like Jacob Ramsey would have been very frustrated with it. Um, you could see his reaction to the goal, you know, every goal that he scores for Villa in these early days of his, of his career going to mean the absolute world to him and it felt like he was robbed of that so I, I thought he really turned up in the second half as well and put in an excellent performance yeah he won't want to say that chance back that he, that he put into the hole and uh, he absolutely won't want to say that again but the midfield in general Holly there's been a huge huge improvement and no more so than the camber who really is marvellous at the moment living up to his name yeah, he's definitely become uh, a fan favourite with Villa this season and potentially already going to be like player, uh, fans player of the season. He's been amazing and just kind of his work ethic and his drive in the midfield alongside McGinn. So McGinn's not having to do it all by himself. I think at times that was maybe an issue for John McGinn. Um, has kind of really helped bolster that defensive screening in front of the back four for Villa. So um, it also has allowed McGinn to kind of push up at times, which has been really helpful. And they've kind of alternated that a little bit as well. So for me, Nakamba has been one of the best in terms of changing and Oliver Kay wrote about that in his piece that went up um, at the start of this week as well and like like Oliver said he he kind of embodies the kind of passion that's kind of been re- relit in, in, Villa's, in Villa's belly so I'm very excited to kind of see how he continues to go and, and him and McGinn are definitely the favourite pairing in my mind Just quickly Greg Buendia I wasn't quite sure what he was until the last few weeks and even though I still don't think he's at his absolute best you're seeing signs now of what type of footballer is in what he tries to do because he does go forwards every time he has the ball pretty much and he sometimes gives the ball away which frustrates Villa fans. But I don't mind it because, you know, he's trying stuff. He doesn't want to just go sideways and backwards. He's actually trying to make stuff happen. So by him trying something, nine times out of ten it might not come off. But that one out of ten times, it might. And he's very, very progressive and he and he is trying, isn't he? And he does always want to make stuff happen. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the, the problem at the start of the season was that he was trying a bit too hard. Uh, I remember against Watford on the opening day of the season, gave the ball away 18 times. And, and I thought, wow, you know, this guy's played at Premier, in, in the Premier League before, but clearly it's going to be a step up from Norwich in the Championship last season. Um, and then even when he scored his only goal of the season against Brentford, I think he gave it away. 22 or 23 times again you know that was the third game of the season and, and Villa fans were starting to think you know what what have we got here have we have we wasted our money 33 million pound the record signing you're expecting them to come in and settle in straight away and, and hit it right off but hasn't quite worked for him and I've written a big story um, on Buendia for, for Thursday um, so I won't give too much away about what's changing his game and I'll just tease that one for the listeners um, but have a read of it and it, and it, full, it goes into full detail of, of what Gerard has done with him um, you know what's changed and yeah the last few games have been great especially the last two um, you know he's, he's, he's really turned it up Rare of you to tease something Greg and tell us what you're doing so thank you very much for that and yeah we'll all look out for that on Thursday This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
Now, Stephen Gerrard's going to be in familiar surroundings this weekend, albeit he's probably never stood in the away dugout before. Aston Villa travel to Anfield Saturday 3pm. It's a pleasure to be able to welcome our Liverpool colleague Simon Hughes to the show, a man who knows more than most about Stephen Gerrard. Simon, you well? I'm very well, Dan, thanks. Looking forward to the game on Saturday, the reunion? I am. It is going to be strange. Um, as soon as Stephen came back to the Premier League, I was excited. I think it adds another another layer to the story. I'm really intrigued to see how, how he does because I think he he um, he did a great job at Rangers. I know some people will will claim that you know he, he, the Celtic were on the down when he was there, but um, I think the, the 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 club that he inherited there they were the shambles when he took over. Really, and loads of people yeah. saying, "Don't take the job. No, just don't do it. Don't touch it." They were losing to the fourth best team in Luxembourg, I think, not long before he took over, and he turned them into, a, you know, a championship-winning team, one that is serious in Europe. I would say, you know, they've had some good European results, which I think is important. And I, I was interested to see what move he'd make next, whether he stays at Rangers and, and possibly goes on to 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 dominate that league, that domestic league whether he can make more of an impression in the Champions League was the next question, really. Because that, that potentially would have given him more jobs to aim at in England. But I think the challenge for that would have been... was enormous, really. I think Rangers would have needed even more money to go and to go and have a have a go in the Champions League. So, in my mind, I, I was thinking, well, there's only a certain number of jobs in England that he, he could actually take. Um, and Villa, Villa was one of them because, obviously, it's a, it's a massive club where the aspiration is to get higher in the league. Um, and it would motivate him as well. You know, I don't think he ever... He said on record, actually, he never wanted to manage a club that was you know, just merely aiming to, to stay up. He wanted a club that, that, that would want to go higher. But the real, realistically, he was never going to get a club in the top four or five or six at this ta- moment in time. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting fit... And I've been watching from afar, just just sort of hoping that he he does really well, really, because um, he uh, he's obviously made a great start at Villa, and um, you know you can see already. I I think I mean I, I'm not as well versed as as either Greg or, or Holly on Villa, but but it seems to me he's got a plan of play imposed reasonably well, pretty quickly, and yeah, it's only four games in, but three wins out of four. I think it shows that. Uh, they're heading quietly in the in the right direction. We've all been blown away by the start, to be, to be honest, so I mean, I think he's done a lot better early doors than anyone could have ever expected. Three wins out of four and pretty unlucky not to get a point against Manchester City, which would have obviously helped Liverpool out. But it has been an unbelievable start. And the thing that, that, that stood out is just the intensity of the man, the standards of the man. I mean, he'll want the players to play to such a level that they don't they don't want to let him down and, and you know he was so so driven as captain of Liverpool but that reflects in him as a manager as well doesn't it I think so yeah I think it's you very rarely see managers who are the opposite of what they were as a player um and I always remember you know players coming into Liverpool when when Stephen was the captain let's not forget you know that Without Steven Gerrard, I don't think Liverpool would have been anywhere near what they achieved in the in the early part of this century. You know, for 10, 15 years, he was the best player by a mile, really, 
And I think some players came in and found his intensity and the standards of you know his training particularly too hard to deal with. Even you know, I remember, for example, Robbie Keane, you know, a player who sort of plays at the international level for Ireland, you know, played some of the biggest clubs in the world, sort of went in and I think he found Steven Gerrard and training with him, even though he's a good mate of his now, you know, they play together in LA Galaxy. Yeah. Quite quite, you know, quite something to deal with. And I think a lot of players found that. So he in every single day at training would treat it like a match. You know, it was it was um it was really intense, you know, a bit of a throwback to the old Liverpool days really that you train how you play. Um, and then the games become a lot easier in theory. So he was like that, and I, I, just, I suspect he'd expect the same from his players, really. Um, but I think the side of Steven Gerrard as a manager that may maybe have surpri- surprised a few people so far is that um, you know I think during his playing career he was he was always seen as a little bit of a distant character, you know, perhaps you know that. Um, not not maybe as charismatic as somebody like Jamie Carragher in front of the camera, but I always remember when I'd interview him as Liverpool's captain, and I'd come away from the interview thinking, you know, you speak so well about football. I always come away from from an interview thinking I've learned something that I didn't know. He'd speak so forcefully and convincingly. He was always able to build an argument, whilst also making sure I, I, I would think that people in football players will be able to understand the way he approaches a discussion as well. So I always thought people are almost discounting you as a manager, I think because you don't have that, that maybe that media persona that that, that people you know that, that the public wanted. But I always saw a slightly different character who thought I thought, you know, he could become a very good manager because he's very direct, doesn't mess around. You know, if he's unhappy about something, he'll let you know. If he is happy about something, he'll let you know. I've seen, you know, sort of being, a, sort of seen both sides of that as a journalist, and, and fundamentally, he's very, very fair, really, and, and honest. I would say I think he learnt a lot from the managers that, that he, he worked under at Liverpool. Gerard Houllier was a, was a massive influence who obviously later managed Villa. Um, Benitez, great tactician, but he found difficult to work with at times. But obviously, has learnt a lot from him. The way he sets up his teams can be. I can see. You know some parallels with the Benitez teams, um, but he will be going to Anfield to win on Saturday. I mean, he'll be desperate to win, and I don't think it'll be like it was when Gerard Houllier went to Anfield with Villa. You know, and he. I hope not. <laughs> it was like a big, you know, sort of uh, hello and goodbye moment for him that he never had when he, he obviously left the club as manager years before. I think with Stephen, he obviously knows that um, this is the start of his manager managerial career, really. Um, Julio was at the end of it. I think he was getting a bit nostalgic, really, and knew that there weren't going to be too many more moments like this. So, I think Stephen will probably he will wave. He'll obviously acknowledge the cop, but from that moment on, you know, it'll be about getting three points for Villa. And I'm really fascinated to see how they approach the game because he's obviously taken quite a lot from Jurgen Klopp as well from the, the year that he has at the academy. He the formation that he, he plays is, is is different to what he played actually as as, as a player. You know, it was always. Four two three one or four four two when he when he played. Baylor, it seems it's a bit more four three three. Is that is that right? I don't want to get that wrong. As well. Yeah, kind of with the two number tens off the striker. Yeah, and he obviously did that at Rangers as well. So he's obviously seen something at Liverpool when he was working on Diego and Klopp that he liked. 
I think as a midfielder, he's probably thinking, I quite like to have you know three midfielders around me, or two midfielders around him, with something that he never had when he was a player. Um, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch. I think it's um, it's a story that I, I didn't expect this season, and I don't think anybody expected. And I'm I'm fascinated just to see how he handles the occasion and how Villa perform ultimately. You know how how what what tricks he might have up his sleeve because he obviously knows. He has got a decent idea of what Liverpool are going to try to do. Liverpool's a bit of a machine, really. There's no sort of um, surprises when you play Liverpool. It's very difficult to sort of beat because they do everything as a matter of routine. Yeah. I'm sure the coaches will tell, say something different. You know, there's always some sort of alternative plan within a game. But um, Stephen will sort of be in a good position to second guess what's going to happen. Um so yeah, it'll be it'll be good to watch. Someone just touched on Gerard's system there, Greg, and I was watching Monday Night Football and they were looking at Ranić, obviously, who's just coming at Manchester United and the way his team's set up. There's actually a lot of similarities, I thought, between the stuff they're analysing on Ranić and the way Villa is set up under Gerard. Do you know what? It's interesting you should say that because I was watching Monday Night Football. I thought it was great. You know, really good analysis from 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 Carragher and Neville as always. But I was tearing my hair out a little bit when they were talking about Ranić and and what he had done. For, for Man United at, at Crystal Palace, because the week before Gerard had done exactly the, well, not exactly the same, but he had completely nullified Crystal Palace on their on their own ground, and it's Aston Villa versus Crystal Palace. It's a little bit different to Man United versus Crystal Palace, yeah. um, and I just felt that Gerard didn't get the the, the credit that he deserved. To, by stopping Crystal Palace because that was a brilliant win. Crystal Palace were on, were on the back; they hadn't lost at home. Um, they'd only lost to Liverpool and Chelsea all season. They'd beaten Manchester City away from home. They're probably they're probably the most exciting counter-attacking team in the division for me this season. That, that they're brilliant the way they do it, and Villa completely stopped that. And I just thought that was that was that was so impressive from Gerard immediately. And Carragher and, and um, Carragher and Neville talked about the real top managers coming in and stamping their authority on a team from day one. You know, Ranić's clearly done that. Thomas Tuchel did it, but Klopp did it. You know, you, you could see the complete difference in in Liverpool on that very first game against against Tottenham, albeit you know it was a nil nil draw. Um, but but Gerard's done it as well. You know. Okay, he's not at the level. We don't know what level he is as a manager yet because he hasn't gone and won anything in England. Uh, uh, you know, to, but but he's not been given that platform yet. So, what I'm saying is, he's, he's coming and he's done, he's done really well. He's he's stamped his authority down straight away, and I just think he's gone slightly under the radar, which sounds crazy because so many people are talking about Steven Gerrard this week. And as Simon said there, um, you know, the way he handles the media is, is a really important thing. And, and, and from a selfish point of view, I'm really enjoying the press conferences and, and the interaction with him because he answers your questions um, in so much detail and gives you so much to work with. And, and, and as Simon said, you feel like you learn something from him every time you talk to him. And I think that's really important. He's a good communicator, Holly. You even see after the games, he's still delivering little messages to players. Greg's right, his communication skills, incredible. Yeah, he, you can tell he really takes the time to think about what he's going to say to the players and, and the team overall and, and you know has those little conversations and is clearly talking to the team a lot in training as well. I mean, weirdly, I feel like I never see him smile when he's doing anything media related, but I think that's just because he's so engrossed in, in getting everything perfect and getting everything right. And you see that in his... Um, 
um, chat that he had with Jamie Carragher that went out this week on Sky as well. He's just so such an intense man. He's fully enveloped in Aston Villa and their ethos and what they want to achieve. And, you know, when he's been saying that, you know, going back to Liverpool, all he wants to do is win with Villa, that shows that he's just Villa, like almost like in a weird way, Villa through and through already. And it's just like, that's what you want from a manager that comes in regardless of their history, regardless of what they've achieved as a player. You want them to come in and be focused on what makes the team tick and what makes them win. And like Greg said, he's done that to the highest extent and it does definitely need more recognition. But at the moment, I'm kind of glad that it's going slightly under the radar because... That pressure is only going to continue to build for Villa as they progress higher up, up the table. So maybe if Villa win this weekend, he'll get that recognition because he's beating one of the best teams in Europe, arguably the best team in Europe in my mind. So it's annoying that it might have to take beating a team like that for him to get that recognition and Villa to get that recognition. But only time will tell on Saturday, I guess. Holly, it's interesting you should say about that, that you haven't seen him smile too much. I mean, And I haven't either, and I've, I've done every press conference he's done. When he first came, and whenever I want to know something about Liverpool, I, I always phone Simon because he, you know, he he knows everything about them. But I think Simon, you you told me that um, some people, when they get to know Stephen a little bit better, are surprised of how you know affable and friendly and he is. I mean, can you just give us a bit of insight to the Villa fans listening of what he's like away from the pitch because you you know him better than most? Yeah, I think a lot of it boils down to. The pressure that he faced as, as, as Liverpool's captain and leader, being a local player, um, and being not just the captain and leader, but the most talented player, in my view, that the, arguably England and this country has produced in a long time, at a time when Liverpool, as a club, weren't really in a position to win trophies. Um, everybody in Liverpool wants a piece of them one way or another, whether you're a Liverpool fan, you know, or you're Evertonian, you've got an opinion about them straight away, and it's never all, it's very seldomly positive. And he's, he's in a very unique position, really. Um, you know, I, I think he, see, he saw playing for Liverpool as a as a civic responsibility almost, you know, that it was all down to him sometimes. He felt if he didn't perform, that he was letting people down. So I think he would let, you know, sort of, it would seem like that the world was on his shoulders at times, but he. Despite him, you know, maybe seeming a little bit, uh, let's say he's not, he's not, he's not smiling all the time. He's not, he's not sort of Brendan Rodgers, is he? Um, <laughs> but I, I found once I got to know him, and you broke down those layers and 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 sort of gained his trust, really. Because um, I'd imagine if you're if you've got that level of profile, you must have trust issues. You want to build trust and know that you can, you can, you can trust people. So. I always remember, just a little story, I remember the, the very first time I spoke to him, um, I couldn't be more surprised by the conversation because I'd, I'd done an interview with Jamie Carragher and I knew Carragher you know, pretty well already at that point. And um, I was at Melwood, I, I, I'd done the interview with Carragher a week before the interview had gone out. And he, he, he comes over and he was like, uh, you that lad who did the interview with Carragher? And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I didn't know what to say really. I was a bit like, God, have I written something that's upset him sort of thing? And I, I know it sounds like I'm sort of patting myself on the back here, but he just said, really good interview that. So it's about time somebody like sort of really bigged up Cara, basically. That was what he was sort of saying. And I was like, wow. It's like, thanks. You know, <laughs> like I didn't, it's very rare you get some a, a footballer, you know, being sort of kind to a journalist, really. So um, from that point on, we sort of developed some, so, some form of rapport, but I've always made sure that, 
you know, they don't take advantage of that as well. I think it's it's based on professionalism, really. Um, I mean, I would say that of all the players that I've dealt with, and I, I, you put Carrie in the same category, he is very, very professional. He takes his responsibilities so seriously in the sense that he, you know, he's never late for an interview. If he is going to have a problem, he, he will let you know in advance. He, he's, he's very respectful in that sense, you know what I mean? He, he will always uh, keep you in the loop with what's going on. Um, he um, all I can say I'd say that word is that word he's very professional um, he doesn't make anything personal I, I don't think um, and once you get to know him you can have a bit of a you know a laugh a laugh and a joke with him and I'm sure the Villa players will be seeing that side of him but as well you know he is a manager now so I think he'd be conscious of making sure that he gets that balance right between being approachable which there is a somebody like Rafa Benitez I don't think he ever felt like he could go to him with maybe some of the issues that maybe he was going through his life, whereas he did feel that with Julio. I think he, I would imagine that he'd want players to feel like that they can approach him and speak to any concerns that they've got, not just in football, but off the pitch, I suspect as well. But there will also be that line. You know, he's not there. He's not the mate. He's there to do a job. I mean, the one player that I'm really fascinated to see how he, how he sort of develops over the next six to 12 months is John McGinn. I, I love watching him play. I think he's, a brilliant footballer. I could I could imagine him playing for, for Liverpool. Uh, hold on, that's uh, Simon. You're on a Villa podcast, here. Yeah, let's just <laughs> yeah, imagine. Let's just imagine it. Let's let's make sure that's all we do. I just really like him, and obviously he played in the same position as Stephen. I think he's got. You know, I think he can kick on again. So it'll be interesting to see how he he uh, he develops. But yeah, he, he he is a he is a much more approachable person. I just think there's an aura around Stephen Gerrard as well. Like uh, he's the, he's still the only player that I sometimes think, God, you know that that's that's Stephen Gerrard. That and I think the the other challenge that he's got, of course, and this was my concern when he went to Villa, is that Villa fans don't idolise him. Ultimately, do they? You know, he's he's not their their hero. I don't so, know. I don't know, Simon. Yeah, well, he maybe he is yeah, now. Yeah, maybe he is. <laughs> I like that mug. Yeah. Very good. Um, he's not their hero, so I think he had to start well, and I think he was conscious of that. I think he had to start really well to get people on side pretty quickly. Um, because, you know, he's, there's no reason why the Villa fans should be like, great, we've got Steven Gerrard as far as their concerns. You know, it's, it's they were in a difficult position. You know, I like Dean Smith a lot. I thought he, he did great things for Villa, but he obviously moved on uh, for a reason. And Steven has to not only get them out of that position, but get them up the league into a position where... You know, it looks like, you know, that the next season could be a really big season. Even this season could still end up being a really, really, really good season for Villa, I think. But he had to win early to, to, to gain the trust. And he's made a really, really good start, I'd say, uh, for the reasons that both Holly and Greg have, have, have mentioned. You know, they've won games, but not just won games, but you can see the sort of he, he imposes his identity onto the team pretty quickly. So, yeah. You know, the Stephen Gerrard identity, I would say, would be, you know, one of great courage. I, I, I admire his courage because it would have been very easy for somebody of his standing not to go and manage a football team, uh, taking difficult jobs as well. Rangers, as I say, they were an absolute mess when he took over. Yeah. Villa, as, as much as things line up to some degree, as I said, it's not like... The Villa fans would be saying we want Steven Gerrard as manager. He's taken, he's put his neck on the line, his reputation on the line, pretty early in, into his career. Um, but it's a, you know, it's a, it's a calculated risk, and 
I think the fact that he, he obviously he's working with one or two people behind the scenes who he's familiar with, I think that that helps. Um, but yeah, I, I just I just hope. I mean, this is just me. I suppose coming from a Liverpool perspective, I I hope he does well because he's done so much for Liverpool as a, as a team. As far as I'm concerned, you know, the greatest player I've seen play football for Liverpool. I don't want it to become a situation where you end up with like Graeme Souness, where uh, his managerial legacy tarnished. Uh, what a great player he was! Which I know the, the situations are slightly different, um, but that's what in the back of your mind you just hope. You know that it works out for him. So, I mean, before we let you go, it's been really interesting talking to you about Stephen Gerrard and getting an insight into the man. Give us a score prediction <laughs> for Saturday. Be kind here. Be kind. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it'll be close. It'll be close. I think it'll, it'll, be, game, I think. it'll be very close. I mean, Liverpool, when they've won well this season, have been very impressive. You know, they, they've obviously scored a lot of goals against. United against Everton, against Arsenal. You know, they, they, they do have the capacity to wipe the opponents away. Um, but on the other hand, they've dropped points against teams that you wouldn't expect. Brighton being one. Um, and obviously they lost at West Ham. Uh, they have had some had some disappointing results as well. So I, I can't see... Liverpool are playing really, really well at the moment. I mean, that Villa are playing Liverpool at a time where... They're as close as they have been to the form of Klopp in 2018-19 and 19-20, which is a problem for Villa, I, I would say. I'd say that Villa could get a point if Liverpool standards drop, given the number of games that they've had. But I just think when Liverpool are in this sort of momentum at the moment, they're very difficult to stop. So I, I can only see a Liverpool win, really. But I think it will be will be much closer. Um, I mean, you mentioned Palace before, Greg. I think you were right about Palace. Palace... When they came to Anfield, played very well. And would un- they shouldn't have lost 3-0. It wasn't a 3-0 result. Um, I can see that sort of performance from from Villa, you know, where there are one or two chances. I think Liverpool do give you chances as well. That's the other thing. I think if Villa is to get anything, when they, their chances come, there won't be lots of them, but there will be chances they have to score. Um, so a lot rests on on the, 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 the performance of the, the forward line, I would say. But I, I, I would always back Liverpool to win at home particularly in the form that, 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 that they're in. So maybe 2-1. That's a long, long-winded answer to a very simple question. <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to come on here and predict anything else than the Liverpool <laughs> win. It's probably where the sensible money is. But I think as long as Villa give them a game, like we did Manchester City the other way, I think Villa fans will be relatively happy. Thanks ever so much for coming on, Simon. It's been great to talk to you. Then a few loose ends to tie up before we took into a juicy-looking top three. First up is that we've got Norwich on Tuesday after the Liverpool game, so the podcast will be after that game. So there'll be two games for us to look back on on 1874 next week. Second one, Greg, Villa's standard trip to Old Trafford in the FA Cup third round. Five times, I think, in the, in the not-so-distant past that Villa have drawn Manchester United in the third round of the FA Cup. It just keeps happening. Yeah, looking an incredible tie, really, isn't it? One that what the fans will really look forward to. But you know, in an, in another way, we're a little bit annoyed at having to go there again. As you say, five times in what twenty odd years is, is pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, look, lots of big games coming up now. Norwich, you mentioned Wendy, obviously going back to Carrow Road, a big thing. Dean Smith coming up against Villa. 
for the first time, another massive thing. And, and some of the youngsters have, have had some entertaining games this week as well. The, the, the under-23s drew 3-3 with Birmingham City uh, in Premier League 2. And uh, the youth team are out of the uh, Youth Cup. The, the reigning holders, they lost to Leicester City last night 2-0. So um, bad, bad news for Villa this week. On the, on, the, on the youth development front but you know the bigger picture is bright there because they've got lots of good talent coming through Yeah, not great defence of the FA Youth Cup there from, from Villa at all this week we end with the top three and this week we have the top three Villa cringe moments we had some suggested by subscribers so Mark W picked out the Julio Liverpool return that prompted this theme but also the David O'Leary fickle banner actually the person that made that David O'Leary banner used to sit right next to me Daniel B another Daniel B says the Capital One Cup in 2015 I'd forgotten it was ever called the Capital One Cup Villa won Blues nil Tim Sherwood in his post-match interview pretending we played badly in the first half on purpose to surprise them in the second tactics Tim couple of shouts for Remy Guy's entire spell in charge and one or two Bruce-related ones as well, including the Cabbages. And Nick B talks about the will be there or thereabouts when asked if the most expensively assembled squad in the championship could challenge for the title. Joseph W's chucked one in as well. David O'Leary running on the pitch to make sure that Luke Moore was okay after going down injured. Some great moments in Villa folklore. Holly, have you got one? Yeah, I think mine would be um, Bruce's kind of unveiling in 2016 uh, in the press conference. He, I just thought it was so weird that he spoke about what Villa fans used to refer to him as, which was his potato head. Um, I don't know why you'd mention that about the club that you've just become the, the manager of. So it was a very weird press conference in my mind. Yeah, we've had some weird times as Villa fans. I just, I love the 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 the, the, the Sherwood one from from Dan from um, was it Daniel B who 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 highlighted yeah. that one. I completely forgot about that, you know, because that the, the the time around Tim Sherwood was just so whirlwind. Um, it was really exciting being a Villa reporter. I think I've said this on many podcasts before, before because Sherwood was was just so entertaining. Um, you know, sometimes for the wrong reasons, but you know, also for the right reasons. Well, he did he did a lot of good things by keeping that club up and um, um, you know, giving them a, a bit of excitement in that horrible season, uh, and obviously leading them to the FA Cup final. Uh, but yeah, Birmingham City game. I just oh, we've got to talk about this because it's just so hilarious. I can I remember it so well because now uh, now it's been highlighted. It was after the game, and I think Jolyon Lescott had been given the runaround by Clayton Donaldson and um, Jack Grealish and maybe Jordan Ayew, I think, were left on the bench. And the two of them came... Two, there were two yeah, changes at half-time anyway. Yeah, it was them. Too. Right, yeah. And, and Grealish came on and was brilliant and Blues couldn't handle them, couldn't handle him. Um, but I just remember the post-game press conference and and, uh, and Sherwood had just said, well, yeah, we, we, we planned to do that in the first half. I thought everyone was kind of looking at each other thinking, really? You, what you plan to be like actually beaten up by your rivals in the in in the lower division um yeah. i mean ideally we'd have gone behind greg ideally <laughs> oh it was funny i mean yeah i i loved the guy i really enjoyed him but um that that, that was just something that that was just a bit too much i think we were saying yesterday as well before that game he played kieran clark in in midfield and he was asked about it in the in the pre-match 
And he said, I've seen Kieran Clark play midfield millions of times. It was absolutely horrific and got dragged at half time. <laughs> Just not a good day for Tim Sherwood, though, despite the fact we won. It wasn't a good day at all. You, is that your pick then, Greg? I mean, that, look, that, that, that does trump mine. I, I will have that. The, the, the other one I suggested was um, the one that immediately sprung, sprung to mind was, was John Gregory and, uh, to, you know, getting the, getting the team to, to, to take the picture at Southampton when they went to top of the league. And I just thought, yeah, I mean, looking back in hindsight now, it was a really bad decision. And, and Gareth Southgate, in his autobiography, spoke spoke about it. Um, and, and so did other players at the time. And they just... John himself and, spoke and John, about it. John has, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, you know, he, that, everyone just uh, um, concedes now it was a, a big mistake. And looking back, that it was major cringe. I'm not having a bad word said about John now. I can't have that on the 1874 podcast. I was going to go with Tim as well. Just when he got, when he got uh, we lost to Swansea... And he was asked a question and he said, Tim Sherwood's not in a hole. Aston Villa are in a hole. And then he lost his job two days later. Tim was great. Good. It, just, it, just, it was a, a funny, it was a funny time. My dad loved Tim Sherwood for some reason. I remember we went to like an away, away game in the championship. I think he was at QPR the season after we'd gone down. And Tim Sherwood was on Sky doing the punditry and he... He, like he was there and looking at the Villa fans, and my dad was like waving like a little schoolgirl, seventy-year-old <laughs> man waving at Tim Sherwood. Really, really bizarre. But he did give us some funny. Even the July thing, when you know when he took his July off and threw it on the floor when we scored against Q, against QPR at Villa Park in the Premier League. There's a character. There, there was. There was. Ne- I mean, look. As as a reporter, there was never a dull moment. I loved. I loved going to Bodymore Heath every week to chat to him and going to the games. It was just. It was. It was entertaining. It was brilliant. And that, and as I say, that first season there was a lot of good fun. Did he have a bet with the journalist over something as well that Villa would stay up? Did he? I think. Did I remember, sure I remember having a bet? I think it was with Pete Collier. Like better tenor. He was asked a question and he better tell her oh, that he okay, kept Villarup. Possibly, yeah. yeah. He did all sorts, honestly. Oh, he, look, he, 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 was, he was brilliant. He, he was good fun. Yeah. He was good fun. And the players loved him, you know, that was the thing. The yeah, players genuinely loved him. loved him. You speak to all the top players at that time and they all really enjoyed his, his, his um, training. I mean, okay, maybe some of the signings in the in the season where he became the manager didn't because it was a recruitment team at the time there was a mix between Paddy Riley the sporting director hiring players you know on his on his recommendation and Sherwood getting some on his recommendation it was a bit of a you know a, um, a chaotic mix but you speak to the English players and they loved him Grealish loved him Micah Richards and Jeremy yeah. Lescott would have you know Gabba um, and, and many thought if he'd have stayed, then Villa would have had a much better chance of staying up than under Remy Gard. I mean, when you've got 17 points, I don't think you can disagree with that. Better wrap it up because Global Greg has got to go. So that is it for this week. Thanks to Greg, thanks to Holly and the brilliant Simon Hughes as well. And thanks to everyone who sent in questions or a cringy manager moment as well. And thanks to everyone for just listening because that's what we're here for. Until next time, up the Villa. Athletic.